Good evening, Patriots. And it's Tuesday, July 5th on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, you are now into Wednesday already. This week's going by quickly, considering we had our celebration on Monday, which was a good one to have. And I hope everyone had a good celebration with their family, family, family and friends. That's a way to contract it, isn't it? Flamly. But it's good. And it's a time that we needed to celebrate the rebirth of this nation, not the creation, because we're back now taking the republic back. Our founding fathers gave us the tools. Most importantly, they created a nation that was built with God on the throne above us. Before we begin tonight, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is a continued support for this channel and many other great patriot, patriot ventures. And if you head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, you have your promo code Bards, but if you scroll on down on that page, you're going to see something, an amazing print called the Vanessa Satin Print Lion of Judah. This is a print that was made directly from a high quality scan of the up-and-coming artist Vanessa Horabona. It's a realistic detail painting Lion of Judah. It is painted on a heavy stock paper with a satin sheen finish. It has a professional finish that allows the print to be seen all over the house with, with great pride, I'll tell you right now. And there won't be any reflective glare either. So the prints are sent to you in special care in an air-pressured uh, to care to air pressure dust each print before attaching to the black uh, the back blackboard, and then it's sealed in an acid free sleeve. The print comes from Revelation five five. The one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and." It's seven seals. It's a beautiful print. I'd encourage you to take a look at it. Vanessa Satin Print, Lion of Judah, regular $40, on sale with your promo code, $28. And you can find that along with other great savings on My Pillow. Your My Pillow Classic Pillows, 1988, My sh- the sheets, the pillowcases, bed mattress toppers, mattresses, everything you need for your bedroom and bath. And then these prints are just ex- exceptional as along with other great products that are on there. So check it out, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. And I've ordered one of these, so it's going to be, I'm anxious to get it in my hand. It's really a beautiful print. If you want to speak to a real live person, call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. You can talk to a Patriot Pillow counselor. These are just important things, I think, to have around the house. We they As I mentioned in... Previous show, they've got the Constitution and Declaration of Independence available. They have the Lion of Judah around. These are powerful images and powerful reminders of what we're really in this fight for. I think that's really critical. And I think that one of the great heroes of this time, just by essence of the story and what we're all going through, is Esther. And that's the 17th book of the Bible. So I want to, I'm going to read Esther in the next three nights. I'm going to We'll get through probably one through three tonight, and then we'll push through probably four to seven tomorrow night, and then Thursday night we'll finish up with eight and nine, somewhere in there. But we'll finish eight, nine, and ten. Excuse me, there's ten books in Esther. So we'll get through there. 
but I think it's a good time to read it. I think with everything going on this week and you know, many have committed like myself to fasting these three days in honor of Esther's great statement. If I perish, I perish. And we'll get to that. But let's begin because I think in this time we need to, you know, the keeping ourselves rooted in scripture is so important and we know that, but it's just a constant reminder. We talk a lot about politics, the events of the day, the challenges that are facing us, the threats, etc. Sometimes it's just worth pivoting back and just going to the word. So it begins with the banquets of the king. Now it took place in the days of Azashura and the Azashura who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces in those days as king. Ajasura sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his province being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great mystery for many days, 180 days. When these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen, held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns, and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion For so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should be according to the desires of each person. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to King Ajasuras. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagath, Zether, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ajasuras, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king, so to speak, before all who knew law and justice and were close to him. Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Miras, Marcina, and Mekumen, Memkunin, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first place in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done with the queen Vashti? Because she did not obey the command of King Ajasuras, delivered by the eunuchs. In the presence of the king and the princes, Memukin said, 
Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also the, all the princes and all the peoples who are in the province of King Ajasuras. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt at their husbands by seeing, saying, King Ajasuras commanded Queen Vashti to be brought to, into his presence, but she did not come. This day the ladies of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of King Ajasuras. And let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she. When the king's edict, which will he, which he will make, is heard throughout all the kingdom, great as it is, then all the women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. This word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memukin proposed. So he sent the letters to all the king's provinces to each province according to the, its script, and to every people according to their language, that every man should be the master of his own house, and that one who speaks in the language of his own people. Vashti, Vashti's successor sought. After, this, after these things, then the anger of the king Ajasuras had subsided. He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Let the king appoint overseers in the province of the kingdom, that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king to, king to be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. Now there, was, now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer and the son of Shemai and the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled, with Jeconia king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had exiled. He was bringing up Hadash, Hadasha, <clears throat> with Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered at the citadel of Susa in the custody of Haggai that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her and her maids to the best palace in the harem. Esther did not make known her people to make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai 
had instructed her that she should not make them known. Every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of Harem to learn how Esther was and how she and how she fared. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go in the king to King Ajasuerus, after the end of her twelve months under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices, and the cosmetics for women. The young lady would go into the king in, in this way. Anything she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, to the custody of Shagaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. Now when in turn of now when the turn of Esther the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, had taken her and his as his daughter, came to go to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was once who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to the king. Ajasuerus to his royal palace in the twelfth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that she sat, set the royal crown on his head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the princes and his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred of her or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her, as she had done when under his care. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ajasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king of Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. After these events, King Ajasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadetha of Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. And the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when, now it was when, they, should, when they had spoken daily to him and he had not listened to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ajasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth month, Twelfth year of King Ajasuerus, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to, to day and from month to month until the twelfth month. That is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ajasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the, the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing the king to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who carry out the king's business, to put into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of of Hamaditha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The silver is yours and the people also. Do with them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned to the thirteenth day of the first month, and it was written as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, and to the princes of each people, each province according to the script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ajasuerus and sealed in the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued at the citadel of Susa. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. This story, as we set it up, is profound to me because the parallels of what we face today are amazing. You're dealing with almost two rulers in a way, very much what we've just gone through. You had a ruler that was in love with his people and in love with his queen. Once, once Queen Esther was t- took the throne or took the crown with him. And then you have... It's interesting, too, just as I think about it, he was divorced, which they made such a big deal about Trump. I always find this interesting, little details like this. And I'm not suggesting, so please don't suggest that I'm trying to make Trump into the book of Esther, because I'm not. I just find these interesting parallels to where we sit today, and it's nothing more than that. But as we watch what happens, we have a second type of king that takes, that takes control. Because what happened is Haman assumes that influence and gets him to create an edict which turns him into almost like a second type of king, an evil king. 
And he's been obviously persuaded to annihilate the Jews. Right now we're dealing with a leader that, an organization of leadership that hates Christians. They hate everything about what we stand for, for the same reasons that Haman was so offended by Mordecai. Because we don't bow to leaders. We don't bow to them at all. And the only one that we'll bow to is God. And so here we sit now with so many infiltrations around us. There has been a word put out at some point or another, and the plan was always to have things like Antifa and MS-13 and gangs and infiltrators from the South and all these people come out with the sole purpose of ultimately eradicating the white race. And that's even been said recently in an interview that was captured. A hand puppet of Pfizer who was speaking at a dinner and she said openly that we need to eradicate the white race. Why? Because we're defiant. Because we don't give allegiance to these puppets. And so we're witnessing right now a very incredible moment in time where a story in the Bible is finding a resonance within a period of time in which we live. And they're at this cusp where suddenly the whole confusion is settled in because the edict has been put out that they're all going to be killed. And that's the whole essence of Esther. It's, and it's the whole point of where is your faith? Now, one of the more amazing things about the book of Esther is that nowhere in here do they talk about praying to God we're talking, they talk about it in the first person, as if we're just observing things without any communication to God. And that's another profound thing in here, because we're witnessing the power of faith through a story. I'm going to continue on a little farther tonight, because I want to get into the next, which is Esther learns of Haman's plot. This is Esther 4. When Mordecai learned All that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was a great mourning among Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came to and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai into the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go to the king's 
to the king to implore his favor, to plead with him and for her and for her people. Hathach came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther, and Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of king's province know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king of these 30 days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews for who, have, who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will fast in the same way, and thus I will go to the king, which is not in according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and just, and did just as Esther commanded him. For just such a time as this. The magnitude of one comment of reminding her that all that she was, could be exterminated in a, in a glance, in just a single moment. And she grasped the magnitude of that so completely to realize that there was a point where all things had to be risked. I'm taken by this moment because we're there. And though we are pushing hard, we are at a point now when as a people, we have to become Esther. We have to face that moment of if I perish, I perish. And the question really in the depth of all of our hearts has to be asked, who's willing? It's easy to say these words. And I I say this and, and I just say this from a place of experience because it's easy to say, for example, I'll go fight, I'll do whatever. But you have to decide deep in your heart. You have to make a commitment in your heart before you ever get there. It has to go far beyond words. I've talked many times about how the ambush changes you. And essentially, this is an ambush. They had been ambushed by Haman. And it was a well-calculated ambush. And worse than an ambush, they knew when it was coming. They knew the date. And they knew that they would be completely annihilated if something wasn't done. And so they felt powerless. And they looked to the queen to solve their problem, and yet she gave them back what they needed to hear. That she would stand for them, but the most important thing they were doing was to fast, and that in turn 
was to call upon God. It's unspoken, but it's here. And they obeyed and they listened as a people. That's profound to me. We're struggling right now with a lot of gnashing of teeth and anger. Frustration, difficulty for coming together, worshiping political people, worshiping letters of the alphabet. All of that is just distraction. The only pure fight right now is our relationship with Father. And the strength that we get through them and the trust that we gain through that and the humbling that we must do before him. These three days that those who chose to fast are fasting right now is part of that process. You can choose any day. We chose these three days. In honor of Esther, in honor of the gifts that were given last week to help remind us in the last two weeks, to help remind us that our country is not lost But we have to make a decision now. We have to decide if this is truly the time we were intended to be, if we were really put here for such a time as this. And we really have to reflect deeply on what it is that we're willing to sacrifice everything for. What do you love so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything to defend? Because if we say, if the first answer is God, it's noble. It's wonderful to say that. But the thing is, we know that by accepting Christ, if we perish, we go with God anyway. As long as we're living true to our word and true in the path. So the question's actually a little more mortal in the sense when I ask it that way. Because our nation is at risk. There's no other place on this planet to go. This is a nation that was created under God, God on the throne. And right now, though there is a change in tide, this fight is far from over. And right now we need Esther's. We need those bold moments and the unity of what Esther represents in the book of the unity of the Jews. We need that unity among God's children, not just here, but across the planet. We have to be willing to stand up and realize that we are here for just such a time as this. That we need to say the words with absolute conviction. If I perish, I perish. The conviction knowing that in that sense, we are fighting with God for everything to save this world, not just for us, but for generations yet unborn. Esther doesn't make that proclamation lightly. And she says it significantly because her people are seemingly powerless, which is the other irony of this is they never were powerless. All they had to do was pray and fast. But even more important than that is that God had given them a voice into the king's chamber. Of all against all odds, Esther was there, someone who should never have been there. She had not fully revealed her people or her past. She had been selected, and she went through a lot to get there. She was in a harem for 12 months, and she had to go into the king's chambers 
on the 12th month to spend the night with him, to decide for him to decide whether he liked her enough to keep her. That's some serious sacrifice. All along, Haggai is having to live outside, wonder how she's doing, try to get word how she's doing, and she can't see him, and they can't talk. And yet he becomes the eyes of the people for her. We have a lot of noise going on in our political circles these days. We don't have a lot of leadership in this nation. And regardless of what people want to believe, because a bunch of people show up to a rally or they get excited about a post on social media, the fact of the matter is that the leader we have is being run by a bunch of corporate thugs And the leadership we need is not very active. So we as a people need to make a decision. And these decisions are now. They're not to be put off for the future. And what each of us decides right now literally shapes the fate of this nation. And that's the the question of who will stand. We're in a time right now without the single leader, which is probably good because We need to return back to our true faith in God. And we have to build that true and intimate relationship with Jesus that we all need. It's been too easy to have a president where we could do the rah-rah thing about and go to rallies and feel good, maybe do a prayer at the beginning, if we're lucky, a prayer at the end. But he's not a messiah. And if anything, the worship of him, the nation never found time to worship God. We found plenty of time to go to rallies. We found plenty of time to watch those on TV. And I admit my own guilt here at times because I gave, I put a lot of time into campaigning and a lot of time into other things. And I didn't give God in those moments the equal amount of trust and respect that was deserved. Because that was not a man there, that was a gift from God of somebody who could help wake up the nation. I don't consider him Messiah. I don't consider it blessed other than the fact that God made these things happen so that we as the people could now have a voice like Esther into the inner circles of power and deceit. And as a nation, we didn't pray for him well. So where things are, they are. But now We have a second breath. Two weeks ago, we saw the Second Amendment reinforced. Then we saw the power of death being destroyed over our nation and life being restored through the destruction and annihilation of Roe versus Wade at a federal level. And again, we saw the power of prayer reinstated. And we saw the power of administrative punity destroyed as the EPA was reeled back and the control of Congress was reinforced that only they could make laws. But here's what's interesting, just like in Esther. We the people now have a choice because Roe versus Wade is not, as a policy, it was destroyed, but abortion is still alive and well in this nation. Less than it was. But we have to do that fight now on the ground, which is where we're going in the story of Esther. 
Because ultimately it's going to be up to the Jews and the people to make the stand. And that means at a certain point, like all things, you have to ask that question. What do you love so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything to defend? And then that comes that second question. Are you willing to say, if I perish, I perish? These are very serious times that we live in. And it's amazing to be walking through truly a biblical period. It's easy for us to fall into the comfort of the lulls between the war. And the war is raging, but because we don't have troops on the door, we, we as people, we seek to have, we seek, we seek a lot of escapism. That's what we do. Now is time to be diligent. Now is time to be dug into serious prayer warfare. Now is time to be digging into the preparations of the house, making sure that you have all these things in order. And it's really a a bigger belief than that for me because as they say, if you want peace, prepare for war. This all could blow over with God's grace in such a way that it really doesn't have much drama. And then again, it may not. A lot of that's going to depend on us. A lot of that's going to depend on us and being humble before Father. A lot of that's going to be depend on us in our commitment and our conviction to our trust in God over our trust in men. And as a nation... We're still pretty weak in the trust in God. We're pretty heavy on the trust in men. A lot of emphasis still on the elections are going to fix everything. A lot of emphasis still on these ideas that somehow we're going to end up in some sort of apocalyptic ground war. I don't get that sense. I do get the sense that we're going to be tried and tested. I do get the sense that we're going to have to be, as the Jews, take serious, and the Jews in the story here of Esther, take serious consideration to the defense of our communities as a matter of course and necessity. But a lot of this is going to center on the spiritual fight that we either choose to win or give up. We're not going to lose the spiritual fight if we're in it unless we decide not to participate or play. So as a reflection point for all of this, Esther opens up a lot of things to think about. A lot of challenges for us as a nation. A timely reminder of the importance of not ever giving up, but in those moments of most despair to remember that God is right there. And the other thing about God is he tends to wait to the last moment to arrive. And there's probably a pretty good reason for that. And that reason is that it's not until you're on the cusp of losing everything that you realize how much you have. God has given us an amazing nation. He's given us an amazing life. And right now we're watching it all fall apart at the rate of speed that is phenomenal. A lot of concerns for many around once how they're going to afford gas next week or milk tomorrow. And that's getting very real for many. 
This is when we double down on our trust and faith in God and truly turn it over to him because this is what he's asking, in my opinion, for a nation to truly return to him and repent. And in so doing, our nation shall be restored. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight just humbled and very blessed with all that's been given. We're watching an infrastructure of thousands of years or more start to collapse and fall. And as it does and as it starts to crumble, we're going through the normal shakes and turbulence of the things that we thought we could trust or put too much trust in begin to fall around us. We know, Father, that the place to go is to you, to turn to you, to put our trust in Jesus, and to pray into that in a profound way. And right now, in spite of how things can be so chaotic, we need to be reminded in the story of Esther that as we come together as a people and we're willing to make those sacrifices and prayers, the profound things can happen. To fast, to pray, to be reminded of the true power of the sword of the Spirit, to be reminded of the true power of unity in prayer where two or three are gathered. Tonight, Father, we just pray for that unity. We pray for that strength among the remnant that is standing strong. Because we also know that a strong remnant can raise this country back. That we can bring it back from the brink. And we can do it very quickly. And with your hand, things that seem impossible are easily accomplished. Doors open that only you can open. But we need as a nation, we need as many in this nation to humble themselves before you and to repent. So we pray this evening for the many to repent. Repent for themselves and repent for the nation. Our nation has done great harm. Our nation has done horrible deeds, not with us by our design, but with us by our blind participation and done so in our name and worse yet with your name. Forgive our nation, Father. Forgive us. As we say that, we also pray for strength. Because as we learn in the book of Esther, it is going to be that strength of each and every one of us coming together to stand together to overcome this evil and to see a true change in tide. And with that, there may be a moment where we have to face the words, if I perish, I perish. It's not something we seek, but it's something in our hearts that are we pray tonight for the true sense of what that is to settle in, to make that commitment to you in such a profound way that we know you've already given us everything we need. We now need to commit fully to that path, no matter where it takes us. So guide us, Father. Guide us in these next steps. Bless us with each and every step. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It's not the goal to perish, so I say it. But it is the reality of accepting that destiny 
which is whatever God leads us to do, and to do so without fear or hesitation. No one wants to see a complete eruption of and destruction of this nation. In the structural sense of the corporate America, it has to fall. And that symbolically is the Tower of Babel. It must fall. And the dollar is falling. And the fabric of what we know and the relationship of what we have so much in our society related to the dollar is falling. Because the dollar has become the point of worship. And somehow the words, in God we trust, have somehow replaced God himself, which is blasphemy in its own sense. We have to step away from our clinging on to these older institutions, put our trust in God, and let this whole thing come down. And it's going to take us standing together, united, to work together to overcome this. They have a plan of how they want us to live. I've said no. And each one of us has to say no as much as we can to step away from that nonsense and decide to walk a different path, a path together, a tra- path with puts the banner of Christ above us, a path that puts us on a walk that is not about their games, but is about God's intention. And as we do that, we're outcasted to a certain degree, but we're also the strength of the society that is needed. And it's there that I believe truly that a true rebirth of this nation comes. But not without trial, not without personal sacrifice, and not without the deepest commitments that we each must make. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. Gives us strength as a nation, and we need strength in this nation. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to level ground. Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now.
sits down over the hill where the lost got found. Reaching through somehow. Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your soul answers calls far away. Safe place to hide from the rain. 